The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and this week... I am doing my mailbag episode. Uh, obviously, the top 400 prospect rankings went live uh, Tuesday, I believe. And um, the, you know, I always do the, the mailbag right after those go live. Um, it was just a, a crazy, a crazy update. Uh, so many players getting added. Uh, there were 62, I believe, from the uh, most recent uh, draft class. And then there were another 64 guys who got added uh, who were not part of the draft class. Um, you know, a lot of those guys from the the lower levels, guys where we're working with uh, really small sample sizes, uh, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, there's going to be – this is kind of – you know, we're, we're getting introduced to a lot of players for the first time uh, on this update. Um, this is also kind of the update where guys who've just been kind of struggling all season uh, kind of really take a take a dive. Uh, it's no longer kind of a, a, a small sample type of thing that we can point to. Uh, and it's also a time where we can really kind of start to buy into guys who are, are having breakout campaigns. Um yeah, I think this is kind of the time in the calendar last year where guys like Andrew Painter were really shooting up rankings. Um, so it's it's a really fun update. It's a really challenging update. Uh, and thanks to all you guys for asking so many great questions. Uh, also, want to oh, in addition to the updated prospect rankings, uh, the team top twenties are all up to date. Uh, the ETAs are all up to date. And the team top 20s, this is kind of the, the biggest time of the year for those because uh, next week's the trade deadline. So I'll be doing uh, all the notes on the prospects who get traded at the deadline uh, for the most part. And then I'll be updating all those team top 20s after the deadline. So you'll be able to see where uh, your favorite teams, uh, what your favorite team's farm system looks like after that deadline. Uh, also, <laughs> give a shout out to uh, people who are kind of talking back to some uh, trolls in my mentions. Um, there was a, there was a funny one directed at a guy who was taking offense to Jackson holiday being ranked over Dylan Cruz. Um, so love to see that. Uh, so let's, let's get to the mailbag. Um, first question this week is from uh, 
friend of the pod, Dave McDonald, uh, Run DMC, uh, Run D McD, I should say, on Twitter. Uh, he's a Guardians fan. Uh, he wants to know who's being the most improved and who's fallen the most for the Guardians, and are there any legitimate bats coming? Uh, so this this kind of ties right into uh, kind of one of the bigger. I don't want to say pop-up prospects because he's been ranked before, but uh, Jonathan Rodriguez, uh, who's a, a corner outfielder who I had ranked, I think kind of as high as 200 or so uh, a couple of years ago. Um, he's been one of those guys who he, he got to high A, he struggled initially, then he was good. Then he got to double A, struggled initially, and then he was good this year. He just got promoted to triple A. And Rodriguez is, uh, he's kind of exactly what I think Dave is kind of looking for here, a potential impactful offensive uh, prospect. Uh, he's not going to provide really any defensive value. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can look at a guy that's repeated a level and just kind of say, well, yeah, he, he was supposed to be better the second time around. Uh, but I do I do really like what I saw from Rodriguez and, you know, Will Benson, who's breaking out with the Reds right now. He's a guy who uh, that was the book on him for, for years is just every time he'd get to a level, he'd struggle and then he'd dominate the level the next time. And he's doing that against big league pitching this year. Uh, Rodriguez. I, I don't think we see him this year, but uh, 32% hard hit rate, really strong. You know, he's going to strike out a little bit, but, uh, he's got significant raw power. I would say he's got plus power and he's kind of passed over one of the fallers in the system, uh, George Valera and, uh, Valera it's, it's, it's been kind of a lost year for him due to injuries, but it's also been a troubling year for him when he's been on the field. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, <laughs> I, I know he's played some center field. He's not a center fielder and, He's not really hitting enough uh, to profile in a corner for for Cleveland. So uh, not going to give up on on George Valera. But next year is going to be a huge year for Valera to kind of retain his status as a a legitimate prospect. Um, I think you can give him a little bit of a pass this year just with all the injuries. But uh, he's I think he's rightfully fallen down the rankings uh, as well. And uh, a couple other guys that or worth mentioning with the guardians on the hitting side, uh, chase the has looked really, really good during his rehab assignment. Uh, I think he sprained his ankle about a week ago. Uh, so we'll keeping tabs on that, but the water, man, I mean, he, he did not skip a beat really. Uh, now he was old for, for some of the uh, competition he was facing, but, uh, just seemed like he was in complete control during his rehab assignment. So DeLauder's a guy who could move pretty quickly. I think he could surpri- surprise some people uh, by how quickly he gets to the big leagues, uh, you know, as early as like next, I don't know, next June, next July. I think you could see DeLauder in the, the outfield there. And then uh, Juan Brito, uh, another just kind of classic Guardians middle infield prospect, uh, hit over power, uh, you know, strong hit tool can, can run a little bit. Uh, they, they always have a bunch of these guys, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, Tyler Freeman, Brian Rocchio, they're not really playing right now. Um, so Brito's behind those guys in terms of where he's at in the system, but 
just another one of those guys that's that's coming for the Guardians and Juan Brito. Uh, okay, next question from Loogie Down Productions. Uh, do you think that this is the peak of Sebastian Walcott's ascension? I'm a believer, but wonder if this is the optimal sell high moment. Um, yeah, this is this is a very challenging evaluation for me. It's a challenging evaluation for big league teams who have been flocking in to see Walcott on the backfields in Arizona as they contemplate whether he's a a potential headliner in a massive deadline deal it does sound like the uh, rangers are going to be big time buyers at the deadline um so with walcott he's just so tough to to place in this uh, set of rankings and um you know, there's, there's a couple obvious parts about Walcott to me. Like he very, very obviously has the tools and he just kind of looks the part of what you expect to see in a future number one overall prospect. Uh, that's like one of the most common questions I get is just, you know, could this guy be the number one prospect who outside your top 50 has a chance to be like a top five prospect, that type of thing. Uh, Walcott was like an answer for those questions uh, before the season. And then he goes um, briefly to the DSL and to the ACL. And uh, he's basically done um, exactly what you would have hoped. Um, you know, we, we were hoping that we would see him stateside. Uh, we have, he's been very, very productive amid a bunch of strikeouts. Um, but I don't think, it, it, what makes it complicated is that he's so young for uh, complex ball. Like if, if Walcott was 18 and a half and he was striking out 35% of the time, that would be not good. <laughs> uh, if you look at the other, the, the other two best Arizona complex league prospects, uh, just guys who have been there all season to me, are Lazaro Montes and Ricardo Cabrera, uh, Montes with the Mariners, Cabrera with the Reds. And they're both a year and a half older than Walcott. So just putting his, you know, it's one thing to strike out a lot and be young for a level, but it's another thing to strike out a lot, be young for a level, but also be producing a lot. So we we're seeing his raw power. We're seeing his speed uh, just ridiculously projectable frame. Like he could add 20 pounds of muscle and not lose any of his athleticism. Um, so it's just really tough uh, where, and this is the exact same kind of discussions uh, I've kind of had on the podcast about guys like Ellie de la Cruz in the past. It, and uh, you know, even like, like an Elijah green maybe is another example where it's just kind of like, uh, we know this guy's got this ridiculously high ceiling. Um, where, how do you balance the reward and the risk? And so that definitely the, the, probably the toughest and the most sort of uh, monumental prospect to rank on this update was Sebastian Walcott of the Rangers, just because, you know, this is one where really trying to get it right, you know, don't want to be too low 
on him. Don't want to be too high on him. Um, but it's just, it, it's one of those where you almost have to put yourself in the shoes of the Sebastian Walcott owner and just kind of be like, well, are you even going to consider trading him for prospect X in this range? Like what's kind of the break? What, what's the point in the rankings where you're like, okay, I'd, I would cash him out here. Um, I think that's a decision that everyone has to make. I mean, if you're just, if you're going to be very uh, risk averse and just really, really, you know, narrowly focused on uh, guys who just completely control the strike zone at every level, uh, well, then you're, then you would probably sell Walcott high here, but you also probably didn't draft Walcott in your first year player draft, you know? So it's the, the people that are willing to kind of shoot for upside and take risks. Those are the teams that probably have Walcott right now. Um, so it's, it's very, uh, very tough call uh, on whether now is the perfect time to, to trade Walcott. Uh, for me, I would be listening and probably holding Uh it's also maybe a scary time to trade for Walcott because of how high the, uh, the cost is. Um, clownfish are clowns wants to know, uh, what do you see as a realistic comp for Luis Matos is Tim Anderson in the outfield? Uh, like that was his suggested comp. Uh, I actually, I, I think a, Matos reminds me a lot, uh, long-term, as sort of a pre 2023 Wander Franco. Uh, so, you know, that, that's not, I'm, I'm not saying like draft Matos next year uh, where you would have drafted Franco this year, um, but just the, the baseball player, the hitter uh, it's, it's very similar to me. It's, you know, very, very low strikeout rate, but also, um, you know, he, he's not chasing uh, pitches and that's, that's kind of what I, where the, the Tim Anderson cop kind of falls apart for me. Uh, Anderson has never had a chase rate below 36%. Uh, that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, and he's generally been in like the forties, the 40% chase rate. Um, Matos on the other hand uh, has a 27% chase rate this year as a rookie and he was rushed to the majors. So uh, he's going to have, much better plate discipline throughout his career, I think, than, than Tim Anderson. Um, but if you just wanted to compare Anderson's batting average, home runs, stolen bases, that could, that could be a good comp for, for Matos. But in, in terms of how he gets there, uh, like he's not going to be just um, this guy who's, who's swinging at everything and putting balls in play that way. Um Nevo, uh, what has you so high on Jared Jones of the Pirates, uh, despite some good, not great surface numbers this year? Uh, well, I don't know if Nevo, I, I guess I'm not sure which surface numbers he's talking about, but, uh, you know, if you're looking at Jared Jones's ERA, I would just stop looking at that. Um, almost, I almost, like the ERA stat just doesn't really exist to me for, for pitching prospects. Uh, you know, you look at if the ERA is bad and the FIP is bad and the XFIP is bad and the WHIP is bad, then that's telling you something, right? But I mean, you don't need the ERA there. Like you should be looking at the fielding independent stats. These guys are 
playing with bad defenders behind them a, a lot of the time. It's just it's not a very useful stat for for pitching prospects. But uh, you in general, like you know, Jones's surface stats maybe aren't um, just as glowing as you might expect from a, a guy that I, I think I probably am ranked as like a top 10 pitching prospect at this point, but, um, and maybe you could, you could make a case that Jones should be ranked more. And I've got this big glob of uh, pitching prospects. I, I really like in kind of like the 120 or like 110 to 160 range. Um, maybe you could say he belongs in there, but I, I put him in the top 100 just because I, I really like Jones and uh, he's, he's really close to the big leagues. Uh, so why do I, why do I like him? Um, he's got a 70 grade fastball. He's a really good athlete. He's got a plus slider. He's got an above average curveball. Uh, coming into the year, I thought he was a sort of premium uh, future closer type of prospect, you know, like uh, it's, it's probably not going to work out for him as a starter, uh, but man, when he gets that ninth inning uh, or eighth inning, he's just going to be lights out. Uh, but he has improved his walk rate every single step. Uh, 11% walk rate at low A, uh, 9.5% walk rate at high A, uh, 9% walk rate at double A, 8.5% walk rate at triple A. So it's just it's steadily getting better as he climbs the ladder. I really think you're kind of witnessing a player just, I, I think Jones is getting better every, every week. Almost like I think you're, you're witnessing a prospect just rapidly improving uh, when it comes to throwing strikes. So um, very, very rare for a prep righty uh, with this kind of electric arsenal to be on the cusp of the majors as quickly as he is. He's still just 21. Uh, was the 44th overall pick back in 2020. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not so much like the main thing I'm looking at with Jones is just the walks and how deep he's getting into games. Um, so if he gives up four runs and here and or, you know, whatever, like I'm not really that worried about that type of thing. Uh, it's just is this guy going to throw enough strikes to start? Is he going to be efficient enough with his pitches to, to go five or six innings? And I think all signs point to hopefully right now like it's it's still not like 100 this guy's gonna have a long career as a starting pitcher you wouldn't really say that about any pitching prospect but um all signs are, are pointing in that direction for for jared jones uh enrico matassa says he uh, loves the rainer arias and luis baez push arias with the giants baez with the astros why isn't Eduardo Quintero of the Dodgers getting the same love? He's fast and showing a good hit tool, a pretty solid frame to build on besides playing in the Dominican Summer League. What are my rose-colored glasses overlooking? Okay, so uh, the Luis Baez mention, uh, Baez, I, he's really exciting. He kind of gives me uh, sort of young Eloy Jimenez type of vibes. Um so, I mean, Baez, is, he, he's great, uh, but he's he's not really relevant to the Quintero discussion, in my opinion. Uh, Baez opened the ball in, or opened the season in complex ball. Uh, he's now at single A. Um, so I think it's better to just talk about Quintero relative to other guys in the DSL. Uh, so Rainer Arias signed for $2.8 million. 
he was a prospect to watch entering DSL play. Uh, definitely, you know, on the on the very very short list there. Whereas Quintero got roughly the eighth highest bonus from the Dodgers alone uh, this past January. Um, so didn't come on, didn't come in with with nearly as much fanfare, uh, nearly as much kind of track record. Um, like I put Joe Andre Vargas, uh, who's also part of the Dodgers legendary DSL team. I put Vargas kind of in that range where I think you want me to have Quintero, uh, like 115, 120, that kind of range. Uh, but Vargas was the guy who came in um, with the big time pedigree. He was the Dodgers best prospect from that, that class. Um, so, you know, looking at these guys pre uh, debut kind of pedigree, that's a big factor for how I react to guys in the DSL Uh we're really working with such small samples with these guys that the, the pedigree component is, is almost like half of the picture to me. Um, so when a guy kind of comes out of nowhere, uh, like Quintero, they're just not going to get the same benefit of the doubt as a guy like Arias, where we were just kind of honed in and wanting to see how this guy would perform. Uh, I mean, there, there's other guys on that Dodgers DSL team who have just as awesome of uh, statistical, um, showings as Quintero, like Elias Medina, Arnaldo Lantigua, uh, a couple other guys who I've ranked pretty close to Quintero in that sort of 200 to 250 range. Uh, and those guys actually got uh, slightly bigger bonuses than, than Quintero. So, I mean, I, I definitely, I like the, the stuff that you cited. Um, the fact that he's fast, he's showing a good hit tool. He's got a good solid frame. Um, so the, I mean, those are a lot of things I look for, but, uh, just really the lack of pedigree coming into the year. Um, this is not the update, this, this post-draft update where a guy like Quintero gets pushed to where Rainer Arias and Luis Baez are, uh, in that sort of 100 to 150 range. Uh, this is the update where they go from being a complete unknown to ranked, you know? Um, so if Quintero just keeps it up and, and really finishes strong. He'll, he'll keep climbing the ranks, but uh, I think slotting him into the middle on this update is, is pretty fair. Uh, Steve S says name one hitting and one pitching prospect currently 50th or higher that have top 10 potential. Uh, okay. So Steve, uh, it pro- there probably won't be any of the pitchers <laughs> like, I would guess none of the pitchers I currently have ranked get into the top 10. Uh, Paul Skeens is in the top 10. He's eighth. Uh, That I'm even mildly uncomfortable with that. Um, But if I just had to pick a pitcher that, you know, had a chance of getting top 10, uh, we got to look at guys with, significant upside who aren't um, you know, who are still kind of developing and, and really early in those stages. I Hurston Waldrop, maybe uh, Atlanta's first round pick of this draft out of uh, Florida, just crazy upside. I've talked about him before. Uh, they need to fix his uh, command and control a little bit, but if they do that, you know, he could be the number one pitching prospect in the game at some point. Uh, then, you know, Jackson Job, maybe, uh, you know, 
number one prep righty in uh, the past draft class. So like he's, he's got a chance uh, as well, but um, you know, no, no pitcher is probably going to be top 10. Uh, very, very rare that I put a pitching prospect top 10, especially one who hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet. And then a uh, hitter who's outside the top 50, who could be top 10. Um, normally for a question like this, I would say like, just look at the guys right outside of whatever cutoff range you threw out there. So guys like 51, you got Tyler Black, 52, you got Brooks Lee, 53, Gabriel Gonzalez. But those guys aren't top 10 type of prospects really to me. Like they're kind of more, uh, guys who sort of graduate they, they maybe climb to like top 20 and they graduate that type of thing uh we're looking for a bit more in terms of raw tools uh to get you into the top 10 i mean i guess you know colt keith got into the top 10 um so maybe maybe you could squint and see a way for brooks lee to get there eh, i don't really think even i don't think tyler black could get there at this point um so who could get into the top 10 who's a hitter and outside of the top 50 uh, maybe Carlos Jorge uh, who I've got at 58 uh, certainly could be one of these recent draftees um, Matt Shaw, Brock Wilkin, uh, Tommy Troy, Chase Davis, Braden Taylor uh, could be one of those guys. You're generally looking, the answer to this question is, is usually someone with a very small sample of pro data because if we had a large sample and they had top 10 potential, they'd be higher than 50. Uh, Chase DeLauder, who I mentioned earlier, uh, deserves mentioning. Uh, Drew Jones, who uh, I'll talk about later, uh, deserves mentioning there. Um, you know, really a good uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez with the Twins. Uh, you really might want to just focus in. If, if all you care about is who could be top 10, uh, go figure out like who are the youngest guys that I have highly ranked uh, Arjun Damala, Sammy Stafura, um, those like Joe Andre Vargas, Rainer Arias, the DSL guys we just talked about, like guys with the least amount of sample size and very young. Like those are the guys that have the chance to climb the highest uh, because we're just kind of learning about them right now. Uh, Danny J says, is it almost time to welcome Wick? Wickelman Gonzalez of the Red Sox to the top 100. Uh, I always want to call him Wilkelman, and it's it's only one L. Wickelman Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, I mean he could be there. Uh, the next update will be uh, basically like a month from today, uh, roughly, and Gonzalez could be top 100 at that point. Um, I I'm already kind of regretting not ranking him higher and. Uh, He's just been on just a, a, a real heater over the past couple months. And it's really kind of come down to just his improved strike throwing. Uh, he's painting the corners with his fastball, but he's also been freezing hitters with his, with his breaking ball. Uh, just really, really good at kind of manipulating spin uh, on his breaking ball. Um, he's been just putting his fastball uh, in all the right places. So, yeah, Gonzalez is really kind of a rocket ship uh, climbing up the top 400. He's like 150-ish right now, but yeah, he could definitely be top 100 in a month. Uh, Baxter Jones, 
says there's he's in a league where there's, there's 400 rostered players and it's a 10 team roto dynasty uh should he trade Junior Caminero and Jackson Churio for one of Rafael Devers or Bo Bichette he says it feels hard with Churio's hot streak but got to do that right uh yeah i think it, the big thing here is that it's a 10 team and there's 400 players rostered. So like the shallower the league, the more likely I am to trade prospects for big leaguers and not really think twice about it just because if there's only 400 prospects rostered or there's only 400 players rostered, I I should say uh, it's just, it should be super easy to get top prospects like you've got Caminero, you've got Churio. If you're just paying attention and you have your finger on the pulse, you should be there to scoop up whoever the, the next top prospect is. So trading those guys for established big leaguers, the only reason I wouldn't do that is if you're rebuilding or you think you've basically got the league wrapped up this year and you don't need a Devers or Bichette to push you over the top. Uh, stretch. Will Bailey Ober, Brian Wu, Andrew Abbott, Reese Olsen, and Griffin Canning be facing an innings limit this year? How would you rank them as win-now pieces this year, and how would you rank them as long-term pieces in Dynasty? Any you'd be trading for or trading away in Dynasty? Uh, so stretch. I, yeah, I think I missed this question when I was working on the update, but um, – I think you're you you might be stressing a bit too much about the workload for these guys and like a shutdown. Uh, of the guys you listed, I think Brian Wu is probably the most likely to have his workload managed, uh, just based on prior innings thrown um, and just kind of how premium of a pitcher he is for them, and you know lack of big league experience, age, all that stuff. Um, you know, the others could reach some sort of innings limit in the final week or two, but that's, you know, go find me a fantasy roster where there aren't any pitchers that could have their managed their innings managed late in the season. You know, that's, that's part of September fantasy baseball is you just, you have guys getting shut down. You have guys, um, whatever, like you, you just have to be, uh, scrambling just nonstop in September. So, um, and, I don't know, two of these guys could be hurt by September. So I wouldn't stress too much about like, oh, I got to unload this pitcher because he might get shut down. Like really just you want to be plugging in the best pitchers you can uh, every week and just you, you kind of react um, to injuries, you react to other stuff. Uh, in terms of how I'd rank them, uh, I, I think Wu, Ober, Abbott, Olsen, Canning would be my long-term rank. And short-term, Ober, Wu, Abbott, Canning, Olsen. Uh, I do still think Abbott is a sell-high. Granted, his price has gone up since the last time I said he was a sell-high. So uh, if you ignored me last time, you're probably laughing as I say to sell-high on Abbott this time. But uh, 96% strand rate for Andrew Abbott and a 25% ground ball rate for Andrew Abbott, who pitches in Great American Ballpark. Uh, yes, it's like screaming that he's 
going to regress and it's just going to happen very quickly. Uh, maybe it won't. Uh, there's only a couple of months left in the season, so maybe it won't. But I think Abbott's a sell high. Uh, Wu and Olsen, uh, those are guys that uh, I would guess I'll be rostering a decent amount in leagues next year, just based on where I sort of see their surface stats ending and uh, the general lack of hype surrounding them when they got the call. Um, I think that Wu and Wu and Olsen are, are good, uh, good buys um, heading into next year. Okay. Uh, time for a message from our sponsors, but, when we come back, I will address the controversial snub of Diane Jorge. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now you get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. 
Okay, so uh, John Vaghi and Ross Redkay uh, both kind of had some variation of why is Diane Jorge of the Rockies not ranked? Uh, was this an oversight? Or are you just not seeing it? Um, so, yes, Jorge was an oversight. Um, but there was some truth in the oversight because I he was not showing up on any sort of query that would have would have caught him um, because he's uh, 20, 20 and a half and he was playing in the Arizona Complex League. Um, I know I know Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs is is very high on Jorge. He's seen him in person, so um, yeah, I. I understand why I got multiple questions about uh, Jorge not being on there. If I had ranked him, I, I probably would have still gotten some questions about why I'm so low on Diane Jorge. Uh, this is kind of the exact opposite to me of the Sebastian Walcott conundrum where Walcott's just so young relative to the players he's playing against. It's hard to, sort of say what's like what's like a bad strikeout rate for this guy um jorge's so old uh for complex ball that i i just never even like i i don't care what any 20 year old does in complex ball uh unless it's like a a pitcher on a rehab assignment or something and you just want to know if their velocity is fine apart from that i just any 20 year old could go to complex ball and do anything. And then I just wouldn't care. Um, so now he's at single a, but he's still old for a good hitting prospect at single a, you know, short of like a, a good college hitter, just going to single a for a couple of weeks before going to high a, uh, the best hitters who are at single a right now are 18 and 19 and, and Jorge's 20. Um, so he's, it's not even like he's young for that level. Uh, I, if, if I had uh, remembered or, or seen to rank uh, Jorge, probably would have slotted him in around like 200, 250, something like that. Um, so let's, let's see how he does at single A over the next month. Um, if he's been like 30 or 40% better than league average, uh, has the strikeouts in check and everything. Like I could see Jorge being added to the rankings, you know, near sort of top 100 range, top 150 range. Um, but I, I just, I generally think he's like really overrated. Um, so that's, you know, you, you guys, a uh, good ombudsmaning there by John and Ross. Uh, Jorge was an oversight. Uh, I knew there'd be at least one just given how big, or how much went into this update, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it was an oversight, but there was some truth in the oversight as well. Like he's not a guy that I'm super high on uh, yet. Like I might, I might just be late to the party on Jorge, um, but uh, yeah. Jeff Ashburner says Wyatt Langford, Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens all have a 2024 ETA. Do you think they're up for the majority of the year or just late? season call-ups uh so cruz is the one that i think could be held down until september of next year 
just because I think the Nationals are so far away from being competitive, uh, they're going to want to, like, you know, Nationals aren't going to be competitive till I don't know, 2026, something like that. Um, so they're, they're going to want to time as many of Cruz's uh, years of club control for when the team's competitive window might be open. Um, at least I expect that's what they'll do. We'll, we'll see, you know, uh, maybe they just will be like, Hey, this is our future of our franchise. We want to do right by him. He's ready. He's up in June. He's up in May. Uh, that could happen too, but I would be kind of operating under the assumption Cruz won't be up until late next season. And then they'll try to have him win rookie of the year and get a draft pick. Um, seems like the most obvious way to play it if you're the nationals uh now langford and skeens uh i would if they're not up by like mid to early june which is the super two cutoff i'd assume they either underperformed or got hurt so if everything goes normal i would expect langford and skeens to both be up uh in less than a calendar year and i would not completely rule out the idea that Skeens could be in Pittsburgh's opening day rotation next year. Um, You know, we'll see, we'll see what he looks like in camp. We'll see what he looks like in spring training. If they're going to have Skeens up um, next year, you know, why not just break camp with him? And if he stays healthy, maybe wins rookie of the year, gets you another pick. Um, So I, if he's one of their five best pitchers in camp next year, I think he could break camp in the rotation. Um, but otherwise, you know, I think he's up in May or June. Uh, I think, you know, Jesse Roach even suggested that Langford could be up as early as this September. Uh, I don't really see that happening. I just think, I think Texas is just so serious about contending that they're just going to shore up um, all their spots, uh, via just trades and stuff like that. Uh, but I do think Langford could be up um, opening day as well or, or early next season. So um, Matt Angelo says, after a slow start, Edwin Arroyo of the Reds has turned it around since June 1st. He's hitting 288 with 22% K rate, 11% walk rate. Uh, why the big drop? Um. Yeah, so this is one of a few questions where just people are wondering why somebody's got down arrows. Uh, I think you think of of the three questions I got. I think the royal one uh, holds or is the most valid. Um, like I, I never set out when I'm doing the rankings. It's not like I'm dropping Edwin Arroyo. Uh, it's more just they kind of end up where they end up and then the arrows come. I think it's, I think you get double uh, down arrows. If you drop uh, maybe 60 spots, if you're a player who's in like the 100 to 400 range. Um, so I guess I think you're right. First of all, Matt, I think you're right. I think I, I lowered Arroyo too much. Um, and I knew he heated up, uh, but um yeah, I probably he probably should have been higher. Like I'm looking at the Reds prospects. Uh, I've got a Royal behind Sal Stewart and Cam Collier. I think I'd probably take a Royal over Sal Stewart and Cam Collier. So um, 
you know, Stewart, I think is around 200. Maybe you could say Arroyo. Arroyo should maybe be around like 175, something like that. Um, but, you know, one way to kind of think about it with a player like that, who's in like the 200s, I probably added 50 to 80 players. Uh, just I added them. Like they, it's not like they moved up. I just straight up added them ahead of him. So that's double down arrows right there if I just keep him exactly where he is and don't move any players ahead of him just by adding those players, draftees and pop-up guys or whatever, just by adding them, he gets the down arrows. Um, and so maybe, I don't know if you guys think the, I think you like the down arrows, you like the up arrows. I don't think we're going to get rid of them or anything like that, but uh, don't, don't dwell too much on the arrows. But in this case, I do think you're right. I think I, I should have had Arroyo a bit higher. Um, now this next one, uh, Sonny says he's curious why Adam Kloffenstein of the Blue Jays has double down, down arrows. Uh, he's having his best statistical year in a long time at an age appropriate level. Thought I'd see him move up your list, not down. Uh, you know, with a guy like Kloffenstein, it's, it's more just an accomplishment for him that he's still on the rankings really. Uh, just given like I added 126 guys, um, some guys graduated, but you know, it's, it's kind of a, a battle uh, to stay on the rankings uh, for this update, uh, probably more than any other. So many guys getting added. Um, so it's a, it's a testament to Clavenstein that I kept him on. Uh, the, the data I've been able to track down on his stuff isn't overly promising. Uh, as of you know, earlier this season, it, he was kind of 92 to 95 with the fastball. Um, he's been getting, uh, from the video I've, I've seen, he's, he's been getting a lot of guys to chase his breaking balls that are, I think most big leaguers would lay, lay off of these. These are kind of really just chase pitches. They're not, uh, all that competitive. And, uh, but he, you know, he is good at generating weak contact. Um, I, part of what I, I was a huge Kloffenstein fan, uh, a few years ago, I, partly due to. I think I was getting some erroneous reports on on how good his stuff was when he was playing in the uh, energy league, whatever that was, like in, during the the pandemic. Um, he was playing in that that Roger Clemens league in Texas. Um, but he's got this he's got this huge workhorse frame, like he just looks like a classic innings eating starter. So there is stuff I like with Kloffenstein, um, but I think he's he's kind of more of like a number four innings eating starter if everything goes right. And then uh, Jim Sloan uh, says, I see you moved Zach DiCenzo of the Astros down. Uh, Jim said he thought he'd go double arrow up into the top 100. And then he also put, he, he also said he saw that I put his ETA at 2025. And Jim was thinking more like early 2024. So he wants to know what he's missing. Uh, you know, again, don't focus on the arrows with, this type of situation with the amount of guys added um, for DiCenzo to, you know, I think with the amount of guys I added in front of him, he probably did actually like it just in my mind, he did move up a little, but you just, you can't uh, jump that many guys um, without my opinion of you just really changing. And, uh, it hasn't really for DiCenzo. Uh, there's a lot, like so much contextual stuff 
to go over with Dicenzo, but um, you know, he was old for high A and he was playing in an extreme hitters park in Asheville, uh, turned 23 years old in May. So I, I would generally kind of just throw out what he did at high A um, given his age, given the conditions and, you know, now he's at double A and he's, still a little bit older than the good prospects at double a uh so he needs to crush it now that he's at double a to keep moving up um keep moving through the the astro system i mean and he's a mediocre defender uh you know third base first base dh something like that uh, he's going to really be working on his defense at third base while he's at double a uh so he's got to improve defensively and he's got to just really mash at double A as one of the older legitimate prospects at that level uh, to get the bump to triple A. And I kind of expect him to sort of, you know, I think he's going to have some ups and downs now that he's at double A. I don't think he gets to triple A this year. He might even head back to double A at the start of next year. And the Astros, they don't have to add him to the 40 man roster until December of 2025. So there's just no rush to sort of expedite. Dicenzo's uh, move to the big leagues. And I don't know if Jim was factoring in the steals at all, but 14 stolen bases for Dicenzo, that's just not a part of his game, really. Um, it doesn't project to be a part of his game, I should say. Um, so it's just, you know, he, he's uh, got a ton of power. I think, uh, I think his surface stats greatly oversell uh, the quality of his hit tool, though. Uh, okay. OA rookie. Who are a few names outside the top 100 who gain the most value in an OPS league while punting steals? Um, so Ryan Clifford, Tyler Locklear, uh, Luis Baez, Ricardo Cabrera, Abimelech Ortiz, uh, Justin Henry Malloy, Samuel Basalo, Basayo, um, Jace Young, Carlos De La Cruz, Kemp Alderman, uh, just a few guys, like basically all the catchers and first basemen. Um, since you don't care about speed, and I mean, this is one, this is one you could, I would use the filters that we have um, on the top 400 page. Uh, you know, you could isolate guys with an OPS of whatever you want and above, and, um, you know, if you're punting steals, I don't, I wouldn't uh, exclude the guys who steal bases in your in your query or in your filter. Um, but if it's a guy who's running a lot, then you just can, you know, downgrade them. Um, also, I I should have mentioned this at the top, but I know I know some people are having an issue with using the Draft Kit app. Uh, the prospects page on there was crashing. Uh, I believe that should be fixed. Um, it was just a technical issue. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fun cheat code having the, the draft kit app. Uh, it's the cheapest way to see the prospect rankings, but uh, they might, they might actually get rid of that. Um, all the CS requests and stuff. Like I, I could see them actually being like, Hey, we're going to, um, you got to go to the site now for the rankings. I, I hope they don't do that, but we'll, we'll see. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, you're also missing out a, a, on a huge part of the value of the top 400 if you're only using the app, in my opinion. Like, I think a lot of people would say, like, you know, my my rankings are good, but uh, the you know the best feature really is the the my leagues feature where you can quickly see which prospects are are available in your league, uh, and you can't do that if you're using the app for for the rankings. Uh, Toolsy says uh, Drew Jones, um, obviously Diamondbacks number two overall pick last year. I don't want to sell low, but should I? I made the mistake with Luis Matos after an injury and poor performance. And do you be, do you still believe in Drew Jones? Um, so I mentioned on last week's podcast that I'd be okay selling low on Jones within reason. Uh, I've you know I, there's some eye test stuff there with him that I've heard about uh, beyond the stats. So and and Jones has not he's not played at a level yet where performance struggles were a perceived concern to me. Um, you know, if you ask me what, what's Drew Jones going to do in the Arizona complex league this year, my guess would have been, he's going to be the best player there basically. <laughs> um, you know, we were discussing, it was it was Drew Jones one A and Jackson Holiday one B for me uh, going into the draft and going into first year player drafts this past off season. Look at where Jackson Holiday is and look at Drew Jones's um, output this year. Uh, so it's not. I think it's very fair to just say he hasn't met expectations. Um, and there's, you know, statistics don't look good. Uh, people have seen him uh, aren't that thrilled with the hitting mechanics that they they've seen um and you know i think you could you could maybe point to his shoulder and quad injuries as contributing to the poor play i also think there's a chance that the quad issue is one where they're kind of using it to get him uh, some developmental work on the side without him adding to this sample of poor play that's being tracked in games um you know maybe that's too conspiracy theory e for for some but uh i just i think it's a it's a it's a situation where i bumped his eta back from 2025 to 2027 so if i'm moving your eta back two years you're gonna fall in the rankings you know like it just kind of goes hand in hand um he's but i did mention him on like one of the first questions about who could be like who outside the top 50 could be the number one prospect in the game someday, like Drew Jones, he still is in that discussion just because uh, he's just extremely talented and athletic and there's nothing, there's nothing like physically uh, or mentally sort of stopping him from getting there. But I do think his, uh, his approach or his swing really more his swing mechanics probably need to be uh, adjusted a little bit uh, for him to get there. And he's not going to be a fast mover, right? Like I don't think Drew Jones is all of a sudden going to get healthy, get a quick promotion to single a and look like he's ready to head to high eight to start of next year. Like, I don't, I don't think that'll be the case. Uh, 
Nevo says Lawrence Butler of Oakland is showing so well this year with a great approach and above average power and speed while climbing up to triple a what's holding you back from pushing him into the top 50 or higher. Yeah, I think I had Butler kind of around 75th overall, something like that on these rankings. Uh, I really agree with everything uh, Nevo said about Butler and there's definitely, there's definitely a part of me that wants to put him higher than he is. Um, very tough part about this update. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of tough things about this update, but I really, really struggled with the ordering of the players in the kind of top 110 or so. Um, pull up the rankings. Yeah. So at, uh, or no, I get, so Kevin Alcantara is ranked 109. Uh, I think the, the question in terms of why isn't, uh, why isn't Butler higher than 71? I think anyone could ask that exact question about any prospect I've got in the top 109 or so. And I would just be like, yeah, they should be higher. Like, I wish I could put them higher. Um, Like I, I, I want every guy to be higher. We just have a ton of talented players and they're mostly all hitters in that range. Um, I only have I only have 17 pitchers in the top 109. So you've got uh, you know almost 90 hitters or so there and they're all really good prospects, guys that I would love to have on dynasty teams. So uh, you know there's only room for 50 guys in the top 50 and I didn't put Butler there, but I I see your point. I think if you want to say I value Butler as the 45th best prospect for dynasty. I wouldn't even like, I would just be like, yeah, that's, that's seems reasonable. Um, so it's just, it's more just a testament to how many good guys there are. And, you know, putting Butler at 71, I think that's fine. I, I agree. He's made really Im- impressive strides with hit, with his hit tool this year. Obviously there's a, an easy Avenue for playing time for him in Oakland, a bad park, bad lineup that factors in, but yeah, I wish I could put him higher. Uh, and we had a couple uh, James Wood questions. Uh, Steve G and Chris Mickler. Um, Steve G basically just wanted to know if Wood did something to fall to 22. And then uh, Chris says, I see a lot of similarities between James Wood and Ellie De La Cruz in terms of profile. Yet you have a soft fade on Wood, and I think you're still high on Ellie. Would love to hear your thoughts on the intricacies of ranking these type of players. I think that's a perfect way to phrase it. Uh, I do have a soft fade on Wood. <laughs> um, I've I've never really thought about Wood and Ellie to the Cruz. Like I don't think of them as like the same. I've never thought of James Wood and said like that reminds me of Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, like De La Cruz has 80 grade power and 80 grade speed. And if we want to be generous, I think we could say that Wood has 70 grade power and 60 grade speed. I think it's probably going to be closer to 
like 70 grade raw power and 60 grade game power for wood and probably like 55 grade speed that ticks down uh, each season. So I just think tools wise and upside wise, there's a, there's a gap there. Uh, I think what Chris probably means more than the power and speed aspect is uh, just concerns about the hit tool, right? And just taller guy, toolsy guy with with the uh, strikeouts. Um, you know, I I I have in, unintentionally kind of become like the wood uh, pessimist, the guy soft fading wood. Um, I've never had James Wood in my top 10. Uh, the, the highest I ever ranked him was 11th overall. And I looked this up and it was exactly a year ago today. Uh, July 26th was when I ranked uh, Wood 11th overall. That's kind of funny. Um, and you can see, you can see everyone's ranking history on their player page about halfway down. There's a, a graph and uh, you can, still find that on guys who aren't prospects anymore, but um, yeah, I mean, he went from 15, I had wood 15th overall on the May 24th update and I have him 22nd overall on this July 24th update. Uh, so he fell from 15th to 22. Like that's, that's really just absolutely nothing. Um, that's not a range of the rankings where there's, any sort of a fall off. Um, if he'd fallen from like third to 10th, that that'd be a big drop or um, yeah. I mean like eighth to 30th, like that'd be a big drop, but 15th to 22nd, that's really not that much. Um, but in that time, you know, he had a, he had an OPS just under 800 and a 31% strikeout rate. So, I had him at 15th and in that time he did basically nothing to move up. Uh, I could have kept him where he was, but I also really like uh, some of the guys I moved ahead of him. Um, guys who have been going crazy in those two months since last update, you know, Everson Pereira, Mason Wynn, um, you know, uh, Ethan Salas, like guys like that. Uh, so I'd, my opinion on wood really hasn't changed at all. Uh, but I do understand that I am lower than uh, pretty much everyone on him. Uh, just, I, I think he's, you know, if you were going to compare him to uh, a guy in the big, I think he's closer to like O'Neill Cruz than Ellie De La Cruz. Um, like, I, I don't think wood's going to hit for a, I think he's going to hit like 250, 255, 30 plus homers. 10 to 15 steals, that type of thing. Um, Loogie Down Productions, as you worked through this update, did any org seem to rise or fall? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. Uh, you definitely notice which orgs uh, seem to be trending up and, and adding talent. Uh, like the Rangers really stood out to me. They've, uh, they've, probably got like a top three system in the game top five at least at this point they just keep adding talent uh 
the Red Sox, the Reds, the Cubs, the Brewers, the Mariners all seem to be trending up. Uh, just seems like everything the Mariners touch just turns to gold these days. Um, you know, the Reds, the Reds really have uh, good taste. I would say like, I, I love their draft. Um, I like the Red Sox draft a lot too. Um, and the Brewers, the Brewers had a great draft. Um, I, you know, on the, on the flip side, I'm really amazed at how mediocre the Royals and A's farm systems are. <laughs> like the Royals and A's haven't been trying to win. They've been, or maybe <laughs> that's, that might not be true of the Royals. The, the A's have not been trying to win. Uh, whether or not the Royals were trying to win under Dayton Moore, uh, they weren't winning and they were getting high picks and they, it's like they've taken a step back. It's like they took a bunch of players high in the draft and the farm system somehow has gotten worse since then. So um, I, Kansas city replacing Dayton Moore with his understudy uh, JJ Piccolo, rather than just cleaning house completely, I think was just a huge mistake. I think it's, I thought they maybe had the worst draft. Actually, I don't know. I uh, I don't know if they had the worst draft. Um, they might have had my least favorite pick of the first round. Uh, but I did. I, I really like Blake Walters, um, the the prep righty they grabbed uh, at forty uh, fourth overall. But if you just remove Blake Walters, I thought they had a terrible draft. Um, and obviously, the A's had. A, like I, the A's took a guy six overall who I think is like barely in my top 300. So um, they both had pretty bad drafts. I have no idea what the A's are doing right now when it comes to the draft or targeting players and trades. Uh, just doesn't seem like the Royals are fixing their issues either. So those, those two teams really stand out. Um, I think it's also worth noting that a bunch of, with all these graduations we've had over the past couple of years, like the guardians and the rays kind of used to be sort of the, the pillars of, of uh, farm system depth. Uh, they just don't have that same level of depth anymore. Um, like I used to, I used to rank, you know, 25, 30 prospects of the guardians in my top 400. I think I got less than 18 in there on this one, uh, but that's fine. They've been graduating guys. Um, Travis Magnuson says, for those of us holding Vaughn Grissom in our minors, where does he fall on this list? Uh, Grissom's dynasty value, I think, could shift more than any other player at next week's trade deadline. Uh, he, for more, like, he's not, thank God he's not prospect eligible, but like his value is just so dependent on him being somewhere where he can play second base and he's not somewhere like that right now um if you were eligible i'd probably have him ranked kind of right around a dale amador back of the top 100 uh but if it looked like he got traded to a everyday job at second base somewhere then he'd be like borderline top 50 guy. so a big trade deadline for vaughn grissom don't completely panic if he doesn't get moved uh i do think he could get moved in the off season as well. Um, so we'll, we'll see, but like if he got traded to the white Sox and was the clear second baseman of the future for the white Sox, that'd be great. Uh, Babo B 
asks for me to expand on my fondness for Matt Walner. Uh, Bobo, I don't know. He might want this question back, uh, but you know, he, he said overall MLB strikeout rate is decent at 24%, but that's driven by a lucky 0% in 14 plate appearances during his May call up it was 36% in April, back up to 31% now in July. Uh, first of all, I don't, I really don't think you're doing it right with the isolation of the strikeout rates during these small stretches. Uh, we want as big of a sample as we can get when, when we're talking about like 20 plate appearances for 62 plate appearances, we want the 62 plate appearances. Uh, you know, if you're talking about like 600 plate appearances, then maybe you can isolate the most recent 150 or whatever. If you want to say like this guy's getting better, but if we've only got 62 plate appearances on a guy, we want to use all 62 of those for his strikeout rate. Um, so we can get as accurate as we can. And so I think his 27 and a half percent strikeout rate right now is awesome. Like for a player with his power, uh, Matt Walner hit two homers today, uh, before I started recording. Um, and I've got him in a few NFBC lineups for this Monday through Thursday period. And so just the fact that this guy is startable in redraft leagues, uh, mixed leagues, and is hitting fifth against righties in a decent lineup, like just those, that fact alone, the fact that I'm, I'm trying to plug this guy into lineups, like that's basically a top 100 prospect to me. If he was the 150th or 200th best prospect, I wouldn't be trying to plug him into redraft lineup. So that alone, the fact he's providing now value uh, matters because that makes him appealing to contenders and rebuilders. Um, he hit one of the homers he hit today was in the upper deck of the opposite field of target field, I believe, um, which is just not a not a place guys hit it really. Uh, I think like Joey Gallo might've been hitting him there during his futures game BP from like a decade ago, but uh, just he's got ridiculous raw power. Any strikeout rate around 30% is going to play for him. So uh, that's my fondness for Matt Walner. Uh, all right. San Francisco giants, the Twitter account, uh, not the official one, but they call themselves the San Francisco giants. He wants me to expand on my thoughts on Leover Piguero. Uh, Piguero had a really impressive run in the minors prior to his call up. So I know, I know he's like got a 50% strikeout rate in like three games or whatever, but in the minors prior to his call up, really impressive stuff from Piguero had a 34% hard hit rate, which is really, really good for a middle infielder. Uh, he was using the whole field, uh, had the strikeouts in check I also think Piguero got a little unlucky. Like even just what he did was impressive, I thought, but it could have been even better. Uh, Babip was under 300 at both stops. And I think he's kind of sneakily emerging as a potential 2020 guy. Uh, you know, 15-15 is maybe kind of a realistic projection for a peak Piguero season, but I think you could get to 2020 if he's playing every day. Um, I think he's, he's a great post hype target for next year. 
especially if the K rate remains a bit high this year. Uh, I don't expect, like I'm not saying rush out to the waiver wire grab over Piguero. I think there could be some some growing pains uh, over the rest of this season. But if he, like I'll, I'll be interested in him next year if it looks like he's got an everyday job, uh, which he might. Um, and I, I like Piguero more than like Nick Gonzalez, for instance. Uh, Mike Ryan, now that South Freilich, uh, Freilich has been called up, who would you rather roster this season only, Freelich or Luis Matos? Uh, this is a fun one because it's a it's definitely a difference between redraft and dynasty. I would take Freelich for redraft over Matos. And I think Freelich is basically ready-made. Like he's his prime years, they might this might count as a prime Freelich year and Next year, I think we'll we'll probably count as a prime Freelich year. Um, he's kind of entering his prime. I think Matos is maybe a couple of years away from entering his prime, so he's he's very green. Uh, I expect him to keep improving each season. So I do I do think Freelich is more ready than Matos to provide fantasy value uh, over the next couple of months. Uh, but I do prefer Matos uh, by a decent amount in Dynasty. Dawes Williams, um, I, I don't think this is Dylan White's burner account, but uh, he says, or Dawes says, uh, the Padres are an org that tends to be very aggressive with prospects, yet Nathan Martorella has been left at high A all season as a 22-year-old, even though he has shown a great approach with ample power. Any insight on why San Diego hasn't been more aggressive with him? Uh, sometimes I think teams leave guys at levels they can crush while they're in trade talks. Uh, and, uh, much to Brian Slack's chagrin, uh, I do think the Padres are more likely to be buyers than sellers. Uh, Slack and I had been talking about potential, uh, closer specs and he was hoping on a Josh Hader trade, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Ownership is desperate to win there. And uh, so I, I don't think they're going to throw in the towel. So they might use Martorella in a deadline deal to up, upgrade the big league club. So uh, if he doesn't get the bump to double A after the trade deadline, then I'm out of ideas. Uh, but that would be my hunch is that they don't want him to go to double A and struggle and tank his value. Uh, Ulysses says thoughts on Griff McGarry and Carlos De La Cruz, a couple of Phillies prospects. Uh, McGarry, I still have pegged as a uh, high strikeout reliever, a high leverage reliever. They're going to keep developing as a starter, but uh, still think he's not going to throw enough strikes to start, but has ninth inning type of stuff. And then uh, Carlos De La Cruz, uh, really a, a fun prospect, uh, six foot eight. He's a righty, righty first base slash DH. I know he plays some outfield. Um, I was watching, uh, I was watching uh, highlights of another prospect, and and I noticed uh, a massive guy running around in the outfield trying to catch a ball, and then running into a teammate and. Uh, just looking like the teammate ran into a brick wall. And I was like, that, that looks like 
De La Cruz out there, and it, it was. Uh, he's he's not going to be able to play the outfield, um, but what he does have is just monster, monster raw power. So I ranked him in like the around like one thirty. Uh, he's performing this year. It's it's going to be a small margin for error for him with the hit tool. Well, there might be just holes in his swing that big league pitchers are going to be able to exploit and he just won't have much of a career, but just imagining him, you know, maybe like his 95th percentile outcome where he's an everyday first baseman. I mean, he could hit 40 homers. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I said 95th percentile outcome, but uh, some of the most raw power you'll see it just, crazy leverage from that six, eight frame. And uh, you rarely see this, but he actually had better numbers away from Redding this year. Double um, a Redding uh, traditionally pretty uh, hitter friendly park. Uh, Dandy F chickens says not a prospect, but what's up with Josh Lowe? Is he going to be a good hitter going forward? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh <sighs> Josh Lowe, I mean, he he doesn't even play every day against righties. He plays probably 85% of the time against righties. So that's that's frustrating, man. I love it. And it's been frustrating. I haven't been in a, in a draft and hold league where I need the steals. And yet I just, there's so many different periods where I just bench him because I'm like, he's going to start like one to two games this period based on the projected pitcher so um low is is much better to have in a daily lineups league than a weekly league and uh frustrating platoon situation going on there and he definitely has cooled off after the hot start so top 20 outfielder for dynasty i don't know if, I, I mean that's tough to say without actually ranking it out but I'd say he's probably like a borderline top 20 outfielder for dynasty but Definitely frustrating that he's he's stuck in this very strict platoon. Uh, three putt par says huge jump for Sedan Rafaela. Uh, why the increased optimism, and do you see a path to everyday bats in the bigs next season? Uh, I think. Well, first of all, he's just been red hot um, over the past like six weeks. Um, so he's performance is driving some of the optimism. Um, but I also think I maybe was downgrading him too much for the bad approach. Um, the, there was that other question earlier about is, is Luis Mata similar to Tim Anderson? Um, Rafaela could be more along those lines of just a guy who swings at everything. Um, but I've been trying to kind of, not uh, be as rigid with ruling out like the Adolis Garcia types. Uh, like I, I drafted Jose Siri. Thanks Rob Silver uh, in some leagues this year. And that's paid off pretty well. Um, I just, I don't think we can just completely ignore the guys with the clear bad approach, but other aspects of their game that's going to get them in the lineup. And Rafaela is kind of along those lines. He's kind of like a, 
Jose Siri, Adolis Garcia type of guy where uh, the OBP is going to be probably ugly. It's not going to be what you want. Um, batting average, you're, you're definitely hoping he hits 245, 250, something like that. But he's such a good defensive center fielder that he can stay in the lineup as a guy with like a 285 OBP. Uh, and he could steal, if he's playing every day because of his glove, he could steal 30 bases. He could hit 15, 20 homers. So it's more, it, part of it is he's just hitting the cover off the ball right now. Um, and he's while facing tougher competition, but part of it's just, I'm trying to be more inclusive in terms of the type of player I'm willing to rank uh, somewhat high. Um, Sticky Lewis says, why no love for Daryl Harnais of Oakland? Uh, well, you know, he's he's ranked, so he's at least ranked. Um, but I do have him at uh, 228. I just think he's uh, he's not the type of guy you really worry about missing on. Like, best case scenario, he hits for a very high average with – little impact in a bad lineup in a, in a pitcher's park. Like Daryl Hernandez could hit 300 with like seven homers if he's playing half his games in Oakland. So um, I like, he's a guy where I, I like the idea of getting Hernandez and some draft and holds next year, but I would not be after him in dynasty. Like I think he's going to play next year. I just don't think there's much upside there. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up with this one. Uh, Phil Moyer. I don't know if he did this on purpose or not, but I, I like it. Uh, he, he wants my thoughts on a few fallers and they're all guys that I've been very high on. Uh, so Brian Rocchio, Nick York, Drew Gilbert. Uh, Gilbert's tough. I, I think he, I don't know. I think, Cause he dominated Asheville and I really shouldn't have read anything into that, but uh, he's, he's been fine lately um, just from a result standpoint at double a, but he's, he's been very aggressive. He's just not very, not really walking. So I think he's still, he's still kind of feeling out double a. Um, and I, and I definitely kind of got ahead of myself with where I ranked him on the prior update. Uh, Nick York, um, you know, he's just been kind of treading water since the last update. And now he's, you know, Blaze Jordan's at double A with him now. Uh, those guys are potentially going to be competing for uh, work at DH and uh, yeah, maybe first base in the coming years. Uh, just tough to tough to rank a guy like Nick York much higher for me at least just because he's not he's not going to steal bases he's probably not going to hit 30 homers so you really need him to carry her with the the average obp the runs rbi and like i said with the lawrence butler question there's just so many good prospects right now um there's no there's no shame in being like the 95th ranked prospect right now um and a lot of you can make a case for york to be higher uh rokio rokio is a tough guy to rank because like his hit tool is just off the charts right now. Uh, he's just got this monster, monster hit tool that's just 
begging to be uh, joined by some power and the power hasn't really come yet. Um, so over, over his last, uh, or his last like 25 games, more walks and strikeouts for Rokio at AAA. He's got six deals too, which is great. He, he didn't used to run that much uh, relative to expectations. So there's just, there's this small, there's this, I don't even think it's a small chance. There's a chance if Rokio can just start tapping into some power, like he could, uh, it could be really exciting. Um, and he's, he's young enough. I, we've seen him do it before uh, for stretches at double a, um, so he's just, he's, he's killing it with his hit tool. He's running more. Um, he's, Big league ready, basically, but just waiting on the power. So he's a tough guy to slot as well. Uh, but I think that's gonna it's gonna do it uh, for me today. Um, I appreciate everyone joining me, and then next week we'll have a normal episode. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.